down to earth on News Talk with Amundi, an asset manager investing in tomorrow, today, to shape a better world for all. Each week here on Down to Earth, we dig into someone's green life, finding out how they integrate environmental issues into their everyday lives. Today, comedian and writer Cullum O'Regan joins us to talk about the small changes he's made in his everyday life that he says probably won't save the planet but make him feel better. Cullum, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling good. I haven't done any damage yet today, I think. I probably used the gas cooker or the gas on the cooker and a kettle. But I'm I'm hoping that's within the end that's within the envelope of normal living. But so far so good. Good to hear. Cullen, we were talking about the environmental impact of fashion in this week's episode of Down to Earth. And as a child in the eighties in Ireland, I've heard you give some strong opinions about our fashion choices then versus now. What's your solution to this problem? Well, there's plenty of reasons not to go back to the eighties and it was often a grim place. But definitely one thing there wasn't then that I can remember was fast fashion. Uh, my feeling is that if you wanted fashion back then, you actually had to fast for it. And even like we wouldn't have had a whole lot. Anyway, we were small farmers, so we had not a whole lot of cash to spare. But most people had like you knew them by their jumper, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like they'd have their one good. You knew them by their good clothes and then their second outfits and then whatever they wore for painting, uh, painting gates and that kind of thing. So. There was just such a volume of clothing less like like, for example, I can remember most of my shoes from my childhood and when they arrived, how they wore out and how many like at any given time, I never had more than one or two pairs on the go. And this isn't like a four Yorkshireman. Oh, we were so poor, but we were happy. It's just that you had shoes that you wore. And then they fell apart and then you got new ones. And even like I think back to uh, knee patches on trousers, uh, school trousers that just kept on going. And like, obviously, this isn't nobody wants to indulge in misery porn, but there's such a huge gap between that and having outfits for an event like uh, I feel like I'm gaming fast fashion because I'm buying fast fashion and then (laughs) holding on to it for the same length of time like I, we are does it does it maybe it's uh depends on when you grew up but you have that kind of you know you look at a jumper and go I have that 10 years and it's the it makes me so happy <laughs> you you mentioned you grew up on a small farm in Cork how do you think that experience shaped your views on environmental issues well it's interesting farming is an interesting uh background because while yes it does uh, give you a sense of where food comes from and, uh, you know, the impact of what you do directly on an environment. Because, you know, farmers change their environment in order to grow food, uh, in order to have uh, to have an income. Um, so you're very close. You're immediately close to, to, to the environment in that way. But also, I think uh, you can... You can kid yourself about how green Ireland is simply by growing up surrounded by green fields. You know, it took me a long time to realize that a beautiful green field is, in fact, uh, just growing grass and nothing else. And yes, it might be capturing some carbon, but fundamentally, like it's sort of dead uh, in, in the sense that there's no 
you know, there's no weeds or thistles or um, insects flying around and horse flies nibbling you and all that kind of thing. So it's a uh, it, it's a curious kind of a mix, um, but definitely I wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, and especially a small farm where, you know, you grow your own food uh, for for most of my life. And then we kind of uh, it just became too <laughs> After all, I just got sick of picking your own spuds and it became cheaper to buy them in super value. And uh, but it does like it's somewhere to go back to or to have a think about when I'm trying to trying to figure out what what I should do. You were telling me earlier that your father was very passionate about trees. Do you think that might have shaped your interests in some way? Definitely. Yeah, he loved trees. He loved planting them. He uh, would have planted stuff for other people around the place. Uh, I think he took Dutch elm disease personally. Uh, we lost we lost a lot of good trees back in the 70s, man, and 70s and 80s. And, you know, like trees that he was fond of along the ditches because the ditch is such an Irish thing. And it obviously we let we know now how important it is in teams with wildlife. But when you lose your elms from the ditch kind of upset him. So he wanted to replace them quickly. And he planted lots of poplars. Now, I know it's it's quick gratification, but still a tree is a tree. So he he loved planting trees. And I think uh, that sense of watching somebody plant trees, plant little groves in corners that, you know, the tractor couldn't reach. Um, and then round about the late 80s, started hearing about the Amazon. So I was obsessed with trees. Uh, I used to. Like, do you remember reading books where children would run away and hide in the woods? Like, it's just the most like um, and obviously the weather was always beautiful. And if it was snowing, they found a a hole in a tree to hide in and they were perfectly warm. But that kind of, you know, around about seven, eight, nine, if you're into trees and then the kind of books you're reading are generally have lots of woods to hide in. Uh, And then coming in the other side is the like the news about the Amazon and as a very anxious, like, 10 or 11 year old watching maps that show the reduction of tree coverage in the Amazon and being very like worried about it. And then, and then, and then Captain Planet comes on the television and it looks like there's a fix. Uh, I don't know if people remember Captain Planet, but generally there would be like some bad guy, Duke Nukem or somebody like that, like pouring, like just willfully pouring sludge into a jungle stream. Like there was no apparent economic uh, rationale for it but there'd just be a truck like there'd be butterflies flying around and then somebody back a truck full of and the, tr- the truck would have toxic sludge written on the side of it and then Captain Planet would find out about it and he'd get these five kids with their magic rings to combine and they would just send like floods or fire or um, a landslide to just dis- to disrupt the um, the bad guy now in hindsight, probably the planeteers were doing more damage to ecosystems in trying to fix things. It's hard to shake the Captain Planet feeling that we can fix this with some magic as opposed to, no, we have to fix this with really boring policy that takes for ages and you need all the stakeholders on board. That, uh, that comment that. that comment about uh, the de- desire to fix things, that's spoken like a true engineer. And I understand you have a degree in engineering and also a podcast on math Called, yeah. the, called the function room in addition to making people laugh. So how do you think that engineering and mathematical perspective shapes your interest in green things? There was a time I studied engineering and then went, went to work in something to do with computers. So I never practiced as an engineer, but there is a moment at which you're 
uh, and I still am slightly enthralled to building stuff. Oh, you know, like the power of of humanity to shape things. Uh, so there's a bit of that. There's a latent bit of that left over, and you know, you need all that as well too. There's also an element of like when you do lots of maths in in school and in college, you become very aware of like the left hand side of the equation matches the right hand side. And so when so when I look at kind of the environment and I see something being burnt or thrown away, it's like, oh, that like waste just feels abhorrent to me like that. You wouldn't at least give it a go to try and reduce waste or not burn a thing like when people talk about like uh, fossil fuels and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing and all that kind of thing. It always feels to me like intuitive that if you could at all possibly avoid destroying a thing to make a thing, that would seem like it might be a better way to go. Sense. Or if you could get your energy from outside the planet for free, like that seems like, oh, look, here's a free thing that you're throwing into the equation. That all is, that all seems like a good idea. Now it's very simplistic, but it's like, I think when you're trying to figure out what to do um, in your life and steps you take, having like some sort of philosophy, even if it's flawed, hypocritical, ineffective, rubbish, like something, it's a starting point. You're listening to Down to Earth on News Talk. My guest is comedian Cullum O'Regan. Cullum, your two most recent books are based on a character named Anne Devine, who the Irish Independent actually referred to as one of our most endearing literary figures, which is huge praise. Anne yes. Devine also appears to be quite the environmentalist. So tell us more about her. Well, she's old school environmentalist and maybe uh, a bit like me. She gets involved in the local tidy towns um, and I always see tidy towns and litter picking as a gateway into doing something like it's not the solution because uh, litter and the plastic and all that. It's sort of there's sort of a, a backstory to that in that people didn't really care about litter until plastics companies started admonishing people for throwing away the litter that plastics companies deliberately started making more plastic. But that being said, like so Anne gets involved in the tidy towns and it get into that sort of, I don't know if anybody's ever picked up litter. I do a bit here in around my area. There's a sort of a mania takes over where you see some, see a bit of rubbish and then you see another bit of rubbish and you can't stop. And you're like, I just want to pick up the rubbish. Uh, and you, even though it's not necessarily doing anything to climate change, it is taking some plastic out of the water and out of the seas. So it's like a Sisyphean task that does have a tiny, tiny, tiny impact. And also what happens is you then you meet other people. Often I think we are like atomized individuals wondering if anybody else cares about a, a, an issue, whatever that issue is. And then you find somebody else who like says, I'd like to do something about that as well. And before you know it, there's 20 people who are all, you know, picking up a bit of rubbish, even during the pandemic, like a lot of us in our group have just gone out on our own picked up a bit for an hour feels good you know um so there's a bit so Anne gets involved in that and then through that she gets she never saw herself as prominent locally which is kind of a rural euphemism you know people who are involved in stuff are prominent like they might be on committees uh, around the place and committees are a double-edged sword sometimes but people who get involved in a thing at whatever level is what will fix our current problems. So many people don't want to get involved or don't think they're the type. But actually, 
you more than likely are. You have a weekly column in the Irish Examiner, and you've written about a lot of the green things that you've tried. So what are some of the more successful efforts that you've made in that regard? Well, yeah, I've done little things. And if, and also just to pick up on the word success, like I really think we have to train ourselves to try and fail and not beat ourselves up if we're not as good as we could be and just do a bit. So uh, the little things, we did uh, cloth nappies for, we'll say, 60 or 70 percent of the time with the small with the smallers and it's a bit of work you are more intimately aware of poo you have to do more dealing with poo than you would have with the like you know obviously with disposable nappies and nappy changing you're not it's not like you can't avoid the poo but you kind of tend to do a little wipe then just fold it all away tuck it into a bag and it's gone it's gone whereas with with uh, cloth nappies you very much you're aware right to the end and you may have to wash them again because it didn't quite work the first time and all of that. Um, but what what got us into that and it was my wife kind of did the research and all of that kind of thing is the waste. Like it's just watching the bin lorry, the black bin used, black bin used to be emptied at half, like a few times a year in our house before children arrived. And then when the nappies first came, you'd see the black bin, you'd see the, the machine almost straining to lift the bin. And it just, again, going back to what I was saying about waste, it just feels so wrong that you make a thing and use it once and throw it away. And it's just, and then it, it doesn't even go back to the to the soil. Like it, even the biodegradable part of it gets tucked away inside in a non-biodegradable bit. And it just feels wrong. So um, we bought, we've got cloth nappy. So we, went, we did that. And up until the children became a little too big and let's not get into detail about volumes of poo but um so we did a bit you know what I mean reduced you know eliminated you know a thousand nappies from the the landfill uh smaller scale tea bags to loose tea sounds like nothing <laughs> but it requires a small bit of effort to strain the tea buy a strainer you make better tea and then suddenly you're just like using less and I don't care if, if plastic if uh, the tea bags are biodegradable most of them aren't still uh, they still have to be made somewhere and all of that requires a bit of work so that's just just tiny stuff I started driving whenever we get to drive again trying to drive slower I read somewhere that if you drive at 100 instead of 120 like you reduce wind drag like exponentially so therefore you get more miles to the gallon because I'm driving a diesel car Hip- hypocrite hypocrite alert diesel car but it's an old one so I'm going to drive it into the ground and then the next one will be electric but in in within my hypocrisy doing that tiny thing um and also more relaxed driving more slowly it's very hard to give up driving at 120 in Ireland though because we we fought for ages to get those motorways and so it seems like a waste to not use them to the fullest extent. Well, when, but, you, when you have an electric car, you'll have to drive slow just to keep the range going. Um, your com- oh, absolutely, yeah. Your comedy work obviously involved a lot of travel, and that's now impossible due to COVID restrictions. So given all your efforts to, to reduce your environmental impact, do you think that online gigs is going to be your future in the comedy world? Hope not. Um, but it does, like, it does, get, it does allow me to access people Myself and a guy called Julian Clancy run a thing called the Dublin Story Slam, which is online, or which was storytelling in the Sugar Club. Um, people standing up telling true stories about themselves. We moved to online and we were able to do a show uh, with people from the uh, Ballyfermot and Chapel is a disability action collective because they wouldn't have been able to get up the steps of our stage 
in the sugar club, you know, so there's an accessibility thing that people are overlooking. No, you still need, we should still have accessibility for everywhere in real life. Like Zoom should not reduce the obligation, but like there is, so you, you get access to people and I've done a good few gigs online now. They have their upsides, but it is, I, I still miss that human contact. Um, even just like after a gig, like I did a gig last night now, and then I came downstairs and there was no decompression. It was like, uh, put the children to bed. <laughs> so it's like that, that after gig thing where normally I'd be cycling home from town or a, or a long drive up from up the country where you decompress and think. But I've made do and online, I, um, I've stopped thinking about what it's not and just said, no, this is the way the gig is. Let's make people laugh. I run a comedy club in Kilmainham. I want to wait till everybody is absolutely comfortable because it's the small clubs where the beauty of them is that you are sh literally rubbing shoulders with a stranger next to you and they laugh and you laugh and you're kind of almost slightly wobbling together in laughter. Like that won't work if we're all two meters away from each other, kind of laughing into our sleeves. So when it's fully back, I'll be back. But in the meantime, I'm happy to zoom away or hybrid or whatever whatever it takes. My thanks to comedian Cullum O'Regan for his small efforts to save the planet and for making us all feel better at the same time. And that's it for this episode of Down to Earth. Thank you for listening. And thanks to my producer, Alex Rousseau, for this episode of Down to Earth. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the series on podcast at Newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Next week, we're getting behind the wheel to tell you everything you need to know about electric vehicles. But until then, stay curious.